Welcome to the Sustainability Agenda podcast. My name is Fregel Byrne. Every week I speak to leading figures from the world of sustainability and explore the sustainability agenda in marketing and strategy, technology, innovation, investment and finance. We look at the latest thinking, what's working and the future and evolution of the sustainability agenda. What we've discovered is that what gets measured gets managed. So we now have, for example, more than a thousand commitments from companies to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, to purchase renewable energy in in partnership, for example, with We Mean Business. The global market for low carbon goods and services is now worth over five trillion. But many, many businesses stepping forward and saying, okay, we've got products and services for, for the future. Marketing means giving people what they want and nobody wants dangerous climate change. I'm very pleased to welcome Paul Dickinson to the Sustainability Agenda podcast. Paul founded CDP, formerly the Climate Disclosure Project in 2000, with an ambition of creating a global economic system that operates within sustainable environmental boundaries and prevents dangerous climate change. CDP works with shareholders and corporations to disclose the greenhouse gas emissions of major corporations. CDP's data is used by a network of investors and purchasers representing over $100 trillion, as well as policymakers around the world. Thank you very much, Paul, for taking the time today to speak to the sustainability agenda. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Great. So uh, it's, it's an interesting time to, to be talking to you and looking forward to getting a picture as to how CDP has been developing some of the future projects and also really get your views and perspectives on the landscape, the sustainability landscape today. A good place to start, maybe if you could tell me a little bit about, you know, the initial impetus to set up CDP, uh, I guess what was in, in those days, the Carbon Disclosure Project, the, the, the early days. Well, yes, indeed. Thank you for asking. I mean, it is a, an interesting story. And uh, my mind goes back to the summer of the year 2000, when myself and a lady called Tessa Tennant um, were planning uh, with some others um, an intervention really to help uh, institutional investors. The problem being that climate change was then and uh, uh, more so even now recognized as a significant problem that was going to massively impact society, uh, corporations, and of course, by implication, investors. And therefore, we took a view uh, that there was an opportunity for an organization to emerge, uh, which provided a mechanism for corporations to communicate to investors um, regarding this emerging issue. Uh, We received some philanthropic funding in the year 2001 and established ourselves as a not-for-profit. Now, in fact, we are a UK registered charity. And I think the two things that really defined us, uh, one is that we started globally. That is to say that we... uh, we, we, we did not recognize any particular nation. Uh, and the other thing being that we, we sought to represent the world's largest investors. So in 2002, when the very first CDP request happened, uh, we represented uh, investors with about $4 trillion. And we wrote to the 500 largest companies in the world in many different countries, in Japan, in the USA, in South Africa, Brazil, uh, China, and so on. Uh, and we've continued doing that through till today. But that's the that's the genesis of CDP, the idea that markets need information to operate rationally. Great, great. 
how's it been? You started off with four trillion. Your company investors looking after four trillion, I guess, in assets under management. Just to have a little bit of an overview before going into maybe some of the the interesting projects that you've been involved in. How has that evolved? Well, in terms of the investors we represent, um, certainly the money is not all in equities. There are many different types of asset classes, and uh, there is actually a, a reasonable amount of double counting, but. Um, Give or take, we added about $10 trillion each year. So in 2016, we represent 822 investors, I believe, with approximately $100 trillion in assets. Now, just to give you a sense of how much money that really is, the GDP of the entire world is only about $75 trillion. So a very significant proportion of all the world's institutional investors uh, request information from corporations through the CDP system. That's one example of our consistent growth year after year after year. Right. That's very impressive. What does it actually mean to report through CDP? And what can you say about companies that have these assets and are committed to CDP? I think that the um, the process has improved over the years. Um, you know, when we, when we started, when we launched... Um, a corporate governance expert, Derek Higgs, uh, Derek Higgs, now deceased, unfortunately, who uh, wrote the Higgs report on corporate governance for the British government. He wrote, uh, he, he said at our launch, our first ever launch, uh, that investors didn't know what to ask and corporations didn't know what to report. And in his words, that was silly. Now, uh, having uh, gone through now 13 years, 13 annual cycles of investors requesting information and corporations providing it, what we now have is, uh, through both our investor program and our supply chain program, uh, more than 5,500 companies reporting information. Now, what that really means is, um, and, and one of the advantages of being a charity, uh, not-for-profit, is all our information is available on our website. But if you look on the CDP website at, uh, for example, our, our climate change request, and it's available in a number of different languages. You'll see we're asking questions of companies such as uh, who's responsible for climate change strategy, uh, are they remunerated on it, uh, and uh, what is the strategy, what is the strategy for emissions reductions, and then critically, what are the greenhouse gas emissions of the company, uh, scope one emissions, scope two emissions, how are the borders defined, uh, what are estimates of scope three emissions, and uh, purchases of renewable energy, and various other data points that are of particular interest. We also have sector supplements, for example, with the oil and gas industry, asking them about their capital expenditure and how consistent that is with the requirements of a two degree uh, climate change. So I would say on balance or in summary, the CDP system provides a mechanism for accountability of corporations to their shareholders. It's a little bit like Companies House in the UK or Edgar in the US. It's where companies file their accounts but they're not filing their financial accounts exactly. They're filing their environmental accounts. Right. That sounds like a really important job and repository of information. What can you say about how companies are doing? Over the last decade, there's been continuing and, and longer growth in sustainability, more and more companies. What are the important measures here? And if somebody said to you, you know, how are companies doing? Are they doing a good job? What would you point to? Well, um, I think for us, the dissemination of information is absolutely key. So just to let you know that the CDP data is available through Google Finance. It's available on the Bloomberg terminals, 130,000 of them. It's available through companies like MSCI and various others in their products. And it's available also from our website. 
what what we've discovered is that uh, what gets measured gets managed. So we now have, for example, more than a thousand commitments from companies to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, to purchase renewable energy in, in partnership, for example, with We Mean Business. The global market for low carbon goods and services is now worth over five trillion. And we're starting to see uh, more aggressive actions from companies. Uh, HSBC's chief executive has said investors are the ones demanding sustainability now. And you may wonder why that is. It's because investors have what I would describe as a bird's eye view over the whole economy. And therefore, they can see this is in their interests. I'm just going to give you one other uh, example of what's important. Um, we are uh, increasingly encouraging companies to align their, uh, their their strategy with, so to say, science-based um, emissions reduction targets and in science-based um, financial disclosure almost. We have the financial, uh, uh, the financial stability board to set up a task force on climate-related disclosures. And um, we're, we're supporting them as best we can. And we look forward to implementing their findings. The point being that companies cannot really plan to emit more greenhouse gas emissions than all the world's governments have agreed uh, are the maximum allowable. So we're, 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 we're here helping companies make sure they're future fit, because if they're not, uh, they're going to be taxed, regulated or otherwise penalised. And that's not that's going to cost shareholders money. Right. Huge impact, I guess, the companies of the world in so many different domains and, you know, ESG factors and the environment beyond climate change. How can one get a sense of the overall impact that companies have and, you know, what impact they need to have or reduced impact in order to hit these climate targets, certainly at a COP21 and other ones. It's probably a difficult question trying to synthesize. Are there any index indices or measures that you can give to you suggest some idea of the dimensions involved? Well, I mean, I think um, we, we've had in climate change for a long time and in many environmental areas what could be described as kind of incrementalism, which is all well and good. But science-based targets are extremely important. I mean, when the world says it doesn't want to go over two degrees centigrade, then scientists can give us a budget of a possible emissions. And the International Energy Authority, the IEA, have divided that up by activities. And that means you can end up with a budget. It was interesting, Pfizer, for example, the pharmaceuticals company told us, Rather than simply setting a target we think we can meet, let's set one that puts us on track for where we and the world need to be by 2050. Now, I like that quote because it makes clear that uh, Pfizer is thinking about essentially <laughs> um, fitting in correctly on planet Earth. And unless any company's got a plan to leave the planet, that's what everybody's going to have to do. But I think probably the biggest single um, negative impact a company can have is actually if it uses shareholders funds in any way uh, or, or any kind of corporate resources to lobby against government action to tax or regulate greenhouse gas emissions. Now, this is extremely dangerous. Where companies seek to uh, use uh, their funds to uh, uh, communicate to the public that climate change isn't a problem uh, or, or, or to uh, lobby uh, politicians or other sorts of policymakers that uh, taxation or regulation of greenhouse gas emissions is a bad idea, that is a, a, a danger, a danger to markets and a danger to society. And it has to be avoided at all costs. I read somewhere today that subsidies paid to the fossil fuel industry still amount to about $600 billion a year. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? 
Um, well, I mean, uh, you know, uh, there are lots of subsidies for lots of things all over the world. Um, and uh, what I'm talking about is if, for example, a government said it was going to stop a subsidy for something that was uh, causing a lot of greenhouse gas emissions, um, that is probably a logical thing to do. In fact, it's definitely a logical thing to do. Um, climate science is pretty unequivocal about this. So governments will be phasing out, for example, fossils for, for uh, subsidies for fossil fuels, and they'll be transferring those subsidies uh, quite, possible to, quite possibly to renewable energy. They'll also be wanting to tax or regulate greenhouse gas emissions. Governments must be allowed to do their job and protect the public and protect, protect the biosphere. I cannot overemphasize this point. It is unacceptable for corporations to uh, impede government's efforts to protect the public. Right. That's, that's very interesting. Where would that show up in your figures? Or how would somebody going through the CDP, for example, be able to you know, track something like that? Um, well, it's not easy because um, companies are very large and they do all sorts of different kinds of uh, engagement with government. Uh, but we do ask questions about uh, engagement with policymakers. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the responses to those questions can be seen. For example, we did also ask companies in 2015 if they supported uh, an agreement at Paris that kept us under two degrees. And 800 companies said they did and that they were uh, they were making efforts pretty much to support that. So um, there is quite a lot of data. But um, I just, uh, you, you know, you really did ask me what was a, a key, a key factor. Uh, and that's why I drew attention to lobbying. That's interesting. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for explaining that. What about the quality of this information? How confident are you that companies, you know, are telling you the truth about what's going on? Well, more than 2000 of the larger companies have external verification statements, and that's quite an industry just in its own right. But also I draw attention to the fact that uh, if companies uh, provide misleading information to 800 shareholders, they may be in breach of various securities regulations. Uh, it is important that when providing information for shareholders that uh, companies provide reasonably accurate information or at least explain the approximate accuracy of the data. So I would say um, it's not perfect data, but it's improving in quality. And of course, um, as more and more shareholders make more and more use of the information, uh, so the quality will continue to improve. As you said, you know, this information is available. What do you know about how it's being used, who's using it, and what would you say is the evidence that it matters? Probably the, uh, the you know, some examples of uh, the information. We know that uh, auto manufacturers um, had, you know, responsibilities to produce energy efficient vehicles. And those um, regulations were increasing in the severity of their impact. And one major car manufacturer, Volkswagen, uh, sought to manage its regulatory compliance by essentially cheating. Uh, and this cost uh, shareholders in Volkswagen some tens of billions of euro. Um, we actually produced a report uh, based on CDP data a little bit before the Volkswagen scandal, warning that uh, the regulatory compliance burden could be considerable. Um, another example is that uh, coal, for example, uh, you'll be aware has a very high uh, greenhouse gas emissions per unit of energy produced and therefore was the most vulnerable to increasing taxation and regulation of greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, coal companies have suffered considerably uh, and investors in, uh, the, uh, in the mining sector have benefited from seeing uh, through CDP responses, for example, the uh, greenhouse gas intensity of the uh, products being produced. 
electric utilities have also um, had greenhouse gas emissions uh, reported for a long time. And uh, the trend towards renewables, which has had a significant impact on a number of electricity generators, uh, could be discerned from CDP responses. So there are multiple examples, uh, including the electrification of vehicles and um, really whole new sectors coming along like renewable energy, um, smart grids, energy efficiency, all of which um, are climate change related industries and therefore essentially give an advantage to an investor who has a knowledge, a working knowledge based upon a corporate data of the trends that are going to shake out winners and losers. I know there's many different initiatives. It's it's a really important project, isn't it? Measuring and reporting different aspects of the ESG agenda, I guess. And it took long enough to get, you know, corporate reporting into some form. Where does CDP fit in with the SASB and GRI and other initiatives? Uh, well, we're very close to SASB and GRI. The fundamental difference is like Companies House, like Edgar in the United States, um, like um, any kind of exam, really, um, any participant in CDP must submit answers to the questions into a single database. Uh, and like Companies House and like Edgar in the USA, that data is then uh, made available to the public. So we are a reporting platform. Now, the GRI is something uh, a little bit different. It is guidance for companies on how they would construct their own sustainability reports. And we work closely with the GRI and we produce um, uh, documentation explaining how the GRI questions coincide with the CDP questions in, in the relevant areas. Uh, SASB also is not just looking at uh, guidance for companies on how to report uh, on sustainability criteria, but also some key performance indicators that they might want to consider. Um, but um, those two uh, are guidance uh, organizations. They're not actually reporting platforms. We are, as far as we're aware, the only reporting platform in the world on this issue. Right. I know that you have expanded as well and you're doing other work as well. And you tell me a little bit about the information you're providing or looking at in your water and forest risk and related areas and how that all came about. Sure. I mean, you know, on climate, for example, we have pretty much most of the large companies in the world uh, reporting. There are a few like the Agricultural Bank of China, Berkshire Hathaway and Facebook uh, but we are three of the largest companies. We're still waiting for them to respond, but we hope and, and believe they will. In terms of water, despite some ongoing water crises like the, you know, the droughts in California and parts of Brazil, still more than half, 53% of companies are failing to conduct uh, in our review process uh, or in our, in our water questionnaires a comprehensive risk assessment, um, which is a basic first step for any company. So we're surprised um, that, that, that they're slacking a little bit on water. I mean, we have more than a thousand companies reporting through us uh, on our water program. But for example, uh, when you take oil and gas companies, just under 22% uh, of the world's largest li listed energy companies responded to our latest request on water. So we think that there's, uh, you know, there, there, there's quite a distance to go with regard to managing uh, water. Um, and, but, you know, if you just take that same sector, oil and gas, 65% of them that do disclose via us say their business is vulnerable to substantive water risks. So... Um, I think water is a little bit where the uh, greenhouse gas reporting was a few years ago. People are just starting to realize this is pretty important. But uh, uh, proof of that is that uh, 
almost half, 43% of companies have been uh, hit with water related challenges in the past year. So that's something to, you know, that's, that's, that's a real caution. And if I can just mention a little something about forests, um, seven in 10 companies that are reporting to CDP uh, through our forest program have commitments to address deforestation, um, but it's slower to make its way into uh, meaningful actions. Um, it's about procurement strategies fundamentally, uh, and these aren't being implemented fast enough. I mean, half of the companies with commitments to source certified soy are yet to get uh, any into their supply chains. And for palm oil, the case is uh, for about a quarter of companies. And whilst over three quarters, that's 77% of manufacturers and retailers have standards for sourcing commodities as the, you know, that the, the drivers of deforestation, only uh, just over a quarter provide suppliers with training or workshops on the issue. So both with water and, and with for, uh, the drivers of deforestation, we're, we're, we're at earlier on in the journey than we are with greenhouse gas emissions. I guess there's two questions there that, that are interesting. Is One is, you know, how good are the standards, you know, and what it would mean if companies were meeting those standards? And secondly, what happens if companies don't meet those standards? Does anybody care? Is this followed up on? And, and can you maybe give some examples of maybe, you know, what happens in that case? I think that it's important for companies to demonstrate to their investors that they are um, essentially paying attention to these significant areas of risk. One of the most important things we've been doing in CDP for quite a while now is providing scores, uh, originally just scores on the quality of disclosure, but increasingly scores in terms of performance of companies. Um, to give you an example of that, there is a coalition of investors called the Aiming for A Coalition. And that uh, A uh, currently refers to getting an A in CDP. Uh, scoring system. Uh, it's aiming for A, it's called, because it's kind of aspirational. But um, the Aiming for A Coalition have actually encouraged various companies to um, publish detailed reports, for example, um, some oil and gas companies on their uh, on their business plans out to 2035 and how um, those are consistent with what the science requires. And um, Actually, the management of BP and Shell and Statoil uh, were so impressed with these uh, shareholder resolutions from the Aiming for A coalition, they backed them, meaning that about 98, 99% of BP, Shell and Statoil shareholders have supported uh, shareholder resolutions requesting in 2015, requesting disclosure of specific plans on climate change. So in a, in a sense, what we're seeing is that uh, scoring is helping companies to change behavior and shareholder resolutions are helping investors and companies collaborate to ensure there is effective behavior change. And then looking forward, what do you see as next on the horizon? It's something of a journey. There are different dimensions, as you pointed out, and there are different states along the, the way in terms of uh, availability of data um, and, and, I guess, management attention and, and focus and movement on these key parameters. And how do you see this all playing out over the next three to five years? You know, climate change is like the Internet. It gets bigger every year. It never goes away. And you have to learn to make money from it. Um, the the kind of salad days of um, people kind of not thinking too much about climate change and, and, and 
worrying about other things that they thought were more important are sort of dead and gone. Uh, 195 countries got together in Paris on the 12th of December last year and agreed uh, to have dramatic cuts in greenhouse gas emissions that will keep the world uh, below two degrees uh, temperature rise. That is going to require very substantial changes, particularly in uh, capital uh, expenditure plans of um, greenhouse gas intensive industries. So what I think we are um, going to see over the next three to five years is a significant movement um, of uh, investment away from activities like coal mining and, uh, for example, the production of uh, unconventional oil uh, through tar sands. These sorts of activities are essentially just going to stop because they are incredibly dangerous because anyone who invests in those sorts of activities is saying um, the world is willing to ignore all the scientists and set about seriously damaging itself um, for uh, this and all future generations. Well, that's a stupid bet. Uh, it would be like uh, investing in asbestos uh, when the uh, medicine was really coming out, pointing out the chronic impact on the lungs of people exposed to asbestos. You'd be an idiot if you invested in an asbestos factory um, around about the time that research was coming out. Well, that's just where we are now uh, with uh, heavy greenhouse gas in, uh, emissions. Uh, and uh, I mean, it's it's not just um, corporations and investors. We actually have uh, cities looking at this now. We had um, 533 cities with 640 million people uh, report through CDP this year. And those city governments are standing alongside leading corporations and leading investors and saying, yes, we recognize that we need to change the way we operate uh, to ensure that uh, uh, we, so we solve this problem of climate change but simultaneously recognising the massive opportunities uh, in terms of job creation and growth that uh, decarbonisation offers. Wow, that's very impressive. Before going on to talk maybe a little bit about the cities, just to get a, a little bit of a snapshot of that, you mentioned this uh, aiming for A and, and getting an A from CDP. Would an A from CDP mean that you were online to have emissions that would keep the temperature within the COP21 goals? Yes, in essence, yes. I mean, it's complicated because um, greenhouse gas emissions, for example, from an oil and gas company are a function of the energy intensity of the company and its operations, the energy intensity of the fuel recovery and the energy intensity of the fuel itself. We are continuing to work with um, leading organizations like the World Resources Institute and others uh, to come up with robust methodology uh, that will kind of make clear if you're within budget or without budget. But we're getting there. So yes, in principle, um, over the next few years, yes, uh, an A will indicate that the company is uh, on track to comply with science-based targets. What about, and it's probably not directly related to the kind of figures and data you're compiling, but I'd be interested to get your perspective on on uh, carbon pricing. I know some people were disappointed that uh, more wasn't done at COP21. Others, more pragmatic, said it's, it's such a big question and challenging one that, you know, it was never going to be something that we would see major progress on. Do you have views on that? Well, I mean, yes. <laughs> um, it. Uh, carbon pricing is, is, is a sort of generic name 
for taxation and regulation of greenhouse gas emissions. It's a more succinct title for it. Um, you'll be familiar, or many of you, many people listening to this uh, will be familiar with the distinction between uh, the impacts of taxes and the impact of, so to say, cap and trade schemes. But uh, either way, uh, they represent carbon taxes, uh, carbon prices. So we have carbon prices. We've had them for a long time. Uh, in many parts uh, of the US, there are there are schemes. There's the EU emissions trading scheme. We have carbon prices going all the way back to the climate change levy, which was in existence in, uh, I think, the year 2001. So we've had 15 years of carbon prices. But uh, essentially, uh, carbon prices are the name given to the increasing quantities of legislation that inevitably, I will use this word again clearly, inevitably come forward to ensure that we deliver the outcomes required from the 2015 Paris Agreement. Um, you know this, but just to remind everybody, greenhouse gas emissions are a valueless pollutant. There is quite a lot of uh, good business sense behind energy efficiency and and uh, and energy you know renewable energy because energy is expensive and you can save money but the key point is that to truly uh, achieve decarbonization uh, that is necessary there will be uh, carbon prices there already are carbon prices but there will be more and higher carbon prices and that will force the behavior change uh, and the uh, the real issue is how those carbon prices come in and uh, that is up to both national governments and uh, associations of governments such as the eu and uh, and various different trading blocks uh, china big enough to have its own separate schemes that will soon unify and uh, through this mechanism of charging for free-to-air greenhouse gas emissions, uh, we will reduce greenhouse gas emissions in line with what the science requires. Right. So you're optimistic it's going to happen in the next few years? Yeah, as you say, it's already there. And I know companies are using shadow pricing and so forth. What would be, you know, the, the measure of how deeply or how well established carbon pricing is that, you know, to really make an impact? And do you think that's likely in the next few years? Well, I mean, uh, CDP already has... Uh, and nearly a thousand companies reporting uh, carbon prices that, that that I think more than 2000 will have done so within the next couple of years. Those companies are using carbon prices internally uh, to prepare for the uh, imposition of carbon prices by government. So there's a dawn coming of mandatory carbon pricing from governments. And, you know, you can see this, for example, with something like tobacco for example um tobacco was discovered to be very bad for your health some time ago and since then um in pretty much every country in the industrialized world tobacco taxation has increased relentlessly to the point where um cigarettes are really very expensive now for pretty much the same reasons you're going to see the same increases in taxation and regulation of uh, carbon intensive products of course coal oil and gas and uh, that process is going to proceed uh, relentlessly. You ask me if I'm optimistic, I would say I'm optimistic because I believe humans can move very, very quickly when they recognize that they have a serious threat on their hands. Uh, but of course, we are in a position of some considerable danger now. And uh, uh, I would, of course, be happier if we were acting uh, faster. Right, right. Relative to 
corporate activity. Do you have some sense of how important the economic and carbon impact of cities are? I think there are a huge importance. There's a, there's a few different factors that uh, make cities particularly relevant. One is that they are elected governments typically and they can think very rationally about the responsibilities they have to uh, broader society. City governments also, whilst understanding how important climate change is, um, that is to say the radiative forcing caused by um, increased greenhouse gas emissions in the atmosphere, city governments are also acutely aware of local damage done to uh, citizens' lungs uh, by particulates um, resulting from the combustion of fossil fuels. Um, one of our advisors at CDP is Lord Adair Turner, and he said uh, the other day in a meeting to me, uh, just imagine how delightful London would be if all the, ele uh, the vehicles were electric. And of course, that, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's a dream today, but it will be reality tomorrow, and our streets will be um, so much quieter and there will be significant reductions in death from heart and respiratory diseases caused by the reduction of um, particulates from combustion in urban areas. That's what, if you'll forgive the cliche, people call a win-win scenario. Fascinating, fascinating. And I guess just finally, I can tell that you're optimistic. What would you say are, are a few of the most exciting changes you see on the horizon on the, with respect to you know, sustainability? Well, I think it's got to be, um, you know, the Paris Agreement, the impact of it cannot be underestimated. Um, and uh, it's worth noticing that, you know, the agreement was signed uh, at the UN in New York by more countries, I think 150 countries, more countries than they've ever signed any agreement before. Um, what is what is most uh, optimistic, what makes me most optimistic is a combination of two things. One is businesses recognising that either uh, at a minimum, uh, they uh, should absolutely stop influencing government against essentially what are matters of national security. So businesses withdrawing from these ridiculous positions whereby they would try to undermine science. I'm delighted that that's happening now. And it's, it's a very, very necessary minimum. But many, many businesses stepping forward and saying, OK, uh, we've got products and services for, for the future. Um, marketing means giving people what they want. And nobody wants dangerous climate change. So one of the most interesting entrepreneurs in the world, Elon Musk, um, has become a billionaire by making electric cars. Uh, a whole bunch of people would say that electric cars were boring, were never going to work. And he produced a better electric car than the, uh, the carbon uh, predecessor. Now, uh, Tesla is just one example, but major companies like uh, Nissan are getting behind uh, electric vehicles. In fact, we had a head of uh, strategy for Nissan speak at a CDP event a couple of years ago, and he said, you can be sure of death, taxes and electric vehicles. So that's one uh, particular area which, which I find very exciting. Another is uh, the uh, ever falling costs of renewable energy, uh, whereby uh, both solar and wind in certain circumstances are without subsidy, cheaper than their fossil fuel alternatives. And uh, this means that uh, construction of renewable energy uh, will, will, will reach uh, an extraordinary uh, level. And I personally become very interested in, for example, dematerialization of our economy, um, the provision of, for example, broadband and uh, you know, high quality communications technology, moving our society a little bit, as it were, from moving atoms to moving electrons. That trend can allow us to have growth 
because human society is based on the notion of growth. We want to grow in the capabilities of our society and the utility to provide it to, to each other. But uh, being able to decouple growth in the economy from uh, from the amount of fossil fuels uh, combusted uh, and, and the amount of materials used. So uh, I'm optimistic that uh, technology uh, supported by enlightened government policy can take us to a far better society, a far healthier society, and one that uh, does not have this uh, looming problem of anthropogenic climate change. But we are going to have to focus. And uh, it's been a great honor for me to work with uh, so many enlightened investors, corporations and cities to deliver this new agenda to the world. Wow, that's a very exciting vision. Great work you're doing at CDP. And thank you very much, Paul, for taking the time and uh, for sharing your insights and views on the sustainability agenda. Thank you, Fergal, for your interest in CDP. Thank you for listening to the Sustainability Agenda podcast. I hope you found it interesting. Please sign up at the sustainabilityagenda.com website or on iTunes to make sure you don't miss any future episodes.